0: Welcome to Leadership Reimagined, where game-changing conversations are reshaping the world of work. I'm Janice Ellig, CEO and founder of Group, Executive Search Advisors, pioneers in redefining executive search through our unwavering commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Today on Leadership Reimagined, our topic is Leap to Leader, a Corner Office Manual. And I'm delighted to welcome Adam Bryant, Senior Managing Director at the Exco Group, a leadership development and coaching firm. With over 30 years as a journalist, including 18 years as a reporter, editor, and columnist at the New York Times, Adam is the author of four books based on the themes that have emerged from his interviews and consulting work with CEOs and other C-suite leaders. His new book is The Leap to Leader, How Ambitious Managers Make the Jump to Leadership, Published by Harvard Business Review. Adam is also the author of four LinkedIn newsletters Leading in the B Suite, Strategic CHRO, Art of Leading, and the New Director's Chair. Adam, welcome. I'm delighted you could join us today.
1: Thanks so much, Janice. Really appreciate the invitation.
0: Well, you have interviewed more than 500 CEOs for Corner Office, the New York Times column series on leadership that you created in 2009. And in 2011, you wrote your first book, The Corner Office, Indispensable and Unexpected Lessons from CEOs in How to Lead and Succeed, which was a New York Times bestseller. It was based on interviews of CEOs focused on what makes a CEO tick rather than a traditional Q&A. So I wanted to know what sparked your initial interest in taking this approach on leadership. And what I've read so many books on leadership, right? And what distinguishes what you wanted readers to know and practice as a leader from other books that were out there?
1: Sure. Um, it's a pretty simple backstory. So, um, as you mentioned, I worked as a business reporter for many years at the New York Times. And through that, I interviewed a lot of CEOs, um, different companies, different industries, and asked them the traditional questions that business reporters ask of CEOs, like, you know, tell me about your strategy, the competitive landscape, et cetera. Um, but I just found over time, the more time that I spent with CEOs, the more I wanted to set aside those questions and just ask them in effect, like, how do you do what you do? And how did you learn to do what you do? I just became really curious about them as people. Um, So I rolled all of that up into a very simple what if, which is what if I sat down with CEOs and never asked them a single question about their companies uh, and instead asked them about leadership lessons they've learned over the course of their lives, early influences, and how they think about the universal challenges of leadership, like hiring and building teams and culture and things like that, um, rather than those traditional questions. And so uh, everything kind of flowed from that simple "what if." Um, and uh, and I did it for a decade, 525 um, Sundays in a row without missing one. And in terms of you know the approach that I've taken differently, first of all that. Fundamental distinction is different because most people do interview CEOs in effective strategists first, rather than about their leadership approach. Um, but over the years, I've kind of refined my theory on what, to me, are the best currencies of leadership. Um, what makes for a good and productive and useful conversation around about leadership? And I always come back to three things, and one is insights. Right, tell me. About about a moment, you learned an important insight about human behavior, about culture, whatever it was, but there was an important insight and lesson there. Secondly, tell me the story. Tell me how you learned that and make it real. And human beings, we are wired to remember things through stories. So that's why that's so important. And then thirdly, give me a tool, a a tactic, a tip, a framework, um, something where I can take that insight and, and put it to work. Like, Give me something that I can use when I'm working with my own teams, or I'm when I'm having a difficult conversation with a direct report or something. So I've always stuck to those three approaches, and that that kind of knocks out um, theories of leadership, um, and it also knocks out sort of platitudes because I don't need to tell you, Janice, there's there's a lot of platitudes uh, <laughs> in the leadership space. So so that that's been been kind of my swim lane for more than a decade. Now, um, including all the uh, the new series that I I have on LinkedIn, so it's my swim lane, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Oh, and you're doing a great job, and we're going to get into your latest book. But I wanted to also talk about the interviews that you conduct on your. You have LinkedIn newsletters, and there are four newsletters, and you have more than two hundred and thirty thousand collective subscribers. Since the pandemic, has your approach changed in doing these LinkedIn interviews and newsletters, and how are you seeing the leadership? themes with board members and executives changing, if they're changing at all.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly has changed. I mean, prior to the pandemic, there were certain evergreen themes that came up and and everybody had their own take and sort of infinite variations on insights and stories. But once the pandemic hit, um, I basically shifted my focus to essentially asking the question, what is the leadership playbook that you are trying to write in real time? <laughs> Because when the pandemic hit, it just sort of everything was a question mark and nobody had the answers. And if you had an answer, you might have to change the answer two weeks later. And so there was very much this collective moment of how do we do this? And it just felt like so many of the old leadership playbooks were tossed out an open window. And and just there was a sense that we're all figuring it out together. Um, so that's been to me, it's just been such a fascinating interesting um just a, a such a rich time to be in the leadership space and i often tell people who are much younger than me it's like you you may not realize this but like we are just living through this incredibly breathtaking moment of history in terms of right. know, what's changing around the nature of work or leadership itself the relationship between employees and employers i like could go on and on um so it's it's just been fascinating the the last few years. And it, it also feels like every six months there's some new kind of like top of mind issue. And the one that I'm I'm really focusing on right now is the word alignment. Um, because I feel like pre-pandemic that word was very much synonymous with the word strategy, you know, metrics and get aligned there. And I I feel like a big leadership challenge now um, is around alignment and that means so much more. It's a bigger idea. It's about aligning around not just the strategy, but purpose, mission, values, culture. And we're living at this time where everybody's kind of got their own facts, right? We can't agree on facts. Everybody's got their own narratives about, uh, you know, themselves and, and the role of companies in society and, and which issues your company should be weighing in on. And so all that creates this challenge for leaders, which is okay. Like there's, there's a pretty big misalignment in the world at large, but how within the metaphorical four walls of our company, do I, as a leader, create a sense of alignment, create a shared narrative?
0: And you want your employees with you on this because that's impacting your customers and your communities and your investors. So, I'm sure as you started this on your LinkedIn, you said you had 525 Sundays that you did this, right? Yeah. And you didn't miss one, which I congratulate you on. So, there must have been some conversations you had where people truly were at a loss without a playbook and sort of trying. It was almost like, you know, fail fast, but let's try some new things new ways of handling this.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, there's been so many words that have come up, especially in the last few years, that I think are so much more important around leadership. And we've heard them all right, humanity, authenticity, vulnerability, transparency. And and I think you know everything that's hard about leadership is a balancing act, right? And I think one of them is, how do you project um, a sense of confidence and optimism? While also being real realistic and acknowledging what you don't know, because I think any leader who tries to sit at the head of the table and pretend they have all the answers is just going to lose credibility. So it's that balancing act of like, okay, everybody, we are navigating this this thing together, we're gonna to make some bets. Some of them are gonna work out, some of them aren't. Um, and so this this leadership challenge right now, especially, I feel like it's it's sort of a subset of alignment, but I think every company is going through some kind of transformation right now. And that's happening at a time where people were sort of dealing with a lot these last few years. Um, and, and so how do you create an environment um, a culture where people are up for change, where they're acknowledging and sort of embracing this moment that we're in. And I talked to um, a guy named Sasan Gudarzi, who's the CEO of Intuit. And I was very struck by the fact that he has this explicit point in his company where he says, we're, we're not going to talk about priorities here anymore. We're going to talk about bets because that's what companies do. We make bets. You you have a thesis, you put resource against those and it might work, it might not. And if it doesn't, we're going to pivot and learn from it. But I just feel like that's a to me, a really great example of what leaders have to do now to signal. It's like, hey, everybody, the world has changed. We can't have you know 60 slide strategy decks that project out you know profits to the penny 10 years from now like nobody's buying that anymore every every company at some level is making bets um in this era of uncertainty and and to me that's a powerful way to signal to everybody it's like you got to get you got to get on board with the fact that we're making bets and help us win
0: yeah and you want your employees alongside of you and oftentimes frontline Employees have some of the best answers. So let's take in all of that information. So let's talk about your newest book, Leap to Leader How Ambitious Managers Make the Jump to Leadership. It was published July of this year, 2023. And you stress the need to develop a user manual. So maybe that's a little bit about what you're talking about here in terms of the user manual having, you know, you're making bets on certain things. But what does it look like in a granular sense? from what you've heard from leaders and you know i quote you to say also you talk about having this manual to revolutionize the way a team works together you need a user manual
1: yeah. And it's it's an idea that's in the a section on sort of how to be a better manager, just because right. I think you have to master the skills of management before you can become a leader. But the specific idea of the leadership user manual, it emerged kind of organically from my interviews with CEOs. But but the idea behind it is this, which is let's pretend, Janice, for a second that you and I became colleagues, right? Um, you hired me to work, work with you. Um, I'm a direct report at your firm. What do we know for certain? We know for certain it's probably going to take you and me three to six months to figure each other out right? At least. <laughs> yeah. Cause like we're human beings, we've all got our quirks and our pet peeves and introverts and extroverts and email versus phone. I mean, we've all got these sort of different work styles. So the whole point of the leadership user manual is like, what if on the first day of me, of you and I working together, we just said like, what should I know about you? Like what, what are your preferences? How do you like to communicate? What are your pet peeves? What, you know, what makes you hand out extra gold stars? And so, And then hopefully that's a two-way street conversation. And you say, well, Adam, what should I know about you? And we can sort of get all that stuff out on the table and figure each other out at almost a human level. So if you do that, if you have that really honest and productive conversation up front on the first day then that means I'm going to spend less time sort of trying to figure you out and you're going to spend less time trying to figure me out. And we can focus on, on the work and, and getting the work done faster. And, um, I keep going back to this idea is like, if you're going to be part of a team, um, and you're going to be colleagues, you can't just put two strangers or 10 strangers together and say, you know, boom, you're a high-performing team, right? It just doesn't work that way because we are also so complicated. Um, and so I, I just think it's such a productive conversation because it starts at that sort of human level. Let's understand each other at a human level and then we can move faster together as colleagues.
0: You know, we, and Executive Search, you talk about purpose-driven. So employees, people who are candidates, really do want to co- go to companies that are purpose-driven and are, there is alignment. And we also do, to ensure success, 100 days of coaching and onboarding when we first place somebody. I'm actually now going to revise that 100 days to include this concept of the user manual. I think this is a great way to start it from more of a humanistic level than, you know, this is how we do things here.
1: Yeah. And 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 I will say, I mean, I I think of it, it's it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife in that it's useful in a lot of different contexts. So it's useful, let's say you start working with a new boss. So like north-south, if you will, you start working new boss or you have a new direct report. It's also really great with um, you know, you're on a team of peers, like just understanding different work styles more east-west. And it's also good in your personal life, right? Like you start dating somebody, it's like, what should I know about you? You know, it's the proverbial <laughs> like, you know, screw top on the toothpaste, right?
0: Adam Bryant, I love the book A Leap Leap to Leader. I read it. Uh, I love some of the key tips that you gave. Like, and so if you could describe them a little bit, you talk about merge into traffic, play in the traffic, monkey park parking. What do these metaphors mean in terms of as you're going into, um, you know, a new leadership, a new role, working with your leader? What should this mean to people?
1: Yeah, and merge, merge into traffic is a great expression I heard from one of our mentors, a guy named Mark gums. And what it means is um, it's the art form of when you first join a company, or let's say you move to a completely different team or business unit within a company. Um, It is just that sort of very subtle skill of, of kind of being able to read a room and Figure out the, the the sort of local culture, if you will, before you start making changes. Um, and, you know, I, I always told my two daughters um, when they were growing up, I say to them over and over, like, you got to read the room. You got to read the room. And, and, and Mark's whole point about merging into traffic is that if you come sort of screaming down the on ramp at 80 miles an hour, trying to like you know, have an instant impact and make a change and show people there how to do things, you're going to cause a pileup. Right. And I just, ever since I've heard that insight from Mark, I mean, in my previous career as a journalist, like I would often see at the New York Times, sometimes we'd hire people from the outside into senior positions and, and I could just tell from their body language just on the first day with the way they were walking through the newsroom that they probably weren't going to merge into traffic. Well, they just carried themselves in a way. It's like, Mm -hmm. you guys are lucky to have me. I'm going to show you how to do this. And I would just sort of, you know, silent note to myself, say, you're going to be gone in six months. Um, And often I was right. So that's the first one. Play in traffic is one of my sort of favorite pieces of of career advice um, that I heard. And what it means um, is basically go out there and do things like it's, it's the opposite of parenting advice to your kids. Like don't play in traffic, but um, in your career, you should play in traffic, which means just get out there, get involved, raise your hand, um, and and just join things and do things because that's ultimately going to have a bigger impact on your career. I'm, I'm often struck by, people just starting out in their careers and sometimes they have like really detailed career plans. Like by this age, I want to be have this title and be making this much money. And five years after that, I want to have this title. And I would say to them, it's like, you can, it's good to make plans. Yes. But know that when you get to, you know, my age, you're going to look back and realize that that most of your career path is defined by the relationships that you make and build um, because you're going to do a project work, with or for somebody, they're going to move on to a new job and they're going to want to take you with them. Um, and so, um, you know, I think it's really important advice, and especially in this era of re- remote working where people can get a little isolated, uh, sitting at home and, and work is basically just one of 20 tabs on their laptop. It's just an important reminder. It's like, build like do actual work i i'm i'm an introvert so I'm, I'm never comfortable with the idea of networking but i'm very comfortable with raising my hand for stuff and doing actual work with people because to me that's how you build more authentic relationships and the third metaphor you mentioned monkey parking um is this wonderful term um about delegation and um a it's from a CEO named Ari Trasdal, and he said that when you're a manager, very often people come into your office and they have a monkey on their back, right? Some project that works, some problem. And if you're not careful, very often what they will try to do is take that monkey off their back and park it on your back and basically say, Okay, like, can you take care of my problems? And his point is that you have to be aware of this phenomenon and you have to make sure that when people walk into into your office with a monkey on their back, that they walk out of your office with that same monkey on their back. And he said, you know, unless you're careful, you can have an office full of monkeys. Um, and, and to be clear as a manager, there are some monkeys you do have to take off their back because it's right. something that only you can do. But just be careful that you're not, you know, if you've got kind of a fixer personality, you know, let, let me take care of that. Um, you can suddenly find yourself with a lot of monkeys in your office.
0: Well, the Leap to leader, you have so many stories which are great because they're real CEOs and executives telling you about how they are leading using some of these metaphors, which I think people, like you said, stories and metaphors like this they remember, and so this is great advice to our audience. So in your next, your other book, CEO Test. Master the challenges that make or break all leaders. You have certain takeaways there and a plan of action on the CEO test. Can you uh, describe those and how they are aligned to becoming a more effective leader?
1: Sure. And and just for context, I mean, so my last two books, "Leap to Leader" and the CEO test, as you just said, and the the way I think about them, I've I've tried to write those in effect as as complementary pairs. In so far as the CEO test. to me is really about the the most important things you need to do as a leader, kind of the external game of leadership. And the leap to leader is more about how you need to be as a leader. Um, and it's more about the inner game, like what is that mindset shift you have to make? So with the CEO test, which I wrote with Kevin Scherer, the former CEO of Amgen, we really tried to identify like, why do people succeed or fail in leadership roles? And not just the CEO role, but Kind of all leadership roles. And so that's why we identified seven core tests, including like setting a simple plan for strategy, building a team, culture, driving transformation. We've got a section in there on can you really listen? Because I think listening is one of those un- underappreciated skills of leadership. Can you handle a crisis? And we also talk about the paradoxes of leadership and To me, one of the key takeaways from that book is in the first chapter around um, strategy, because one of the things that I've come to appreciate, and I'm sure you see this all the time, is that the word strategy means different things to different people, right? I, I didn't go to business school. I sort of assumed that if somebody said strategy, there was kind of a shared understanding of a framework or approach. But just in all our work with leadership teams, I've come to appreciate that that word is like a Rorschach test or classic ink blot. Like it it means different things to different people. Um, and so um, I interviewed a guy named Dinesh Paliwal who ran Harmon International. And he shared with me the strategy framework that he used. And I have to say, it's like, as soon as he said, it, I said, that's brilliant. And we share it with a lot of our clients. Um, and I always give Dinesh credit for it, but uh, it's very easy to explain. It's a, it's a one page, four part, Framework. And the first thing is like, give me a concrete summary statement of what you are trying to achieve, like one or two sentences. What is the big outcome you're driving towards? Don't give me a job description of what your company does or you do. Don't give me your mission and values and purpose. What are you trying? What is the big goal that you're trying to achieve over time period X? Which then raises the question, okay, so what are the three or four things that you need to do to achieve that? Not the 12 things, the key three or four things. And then third is let's have a a sort of gut check and acknowledgement of what are the challenges that we have to overcome. Let's not just be cheerleaders, right? And then finally how are we going to measure progress? You have to have a, an external scoreboard and just grounding the strategy conversation in that four-part framework. I'm not saying it's the best one out there. Um, I, when I when we work with clients, I don't say to them, like, get rid of yours. But I just think the strategy conversation is so important that the more you can come at it from different angles, the better off you'll be.
0: You're right. People have a different view of what strategy is. And you have to think about it in that number one question. What are we trying to do here, because otherwise you just get you know hung up on a lot of transactions that go uh, yeah. and hire consultants. I always like we hire consultants to come in and tell us what our strategy should be you know yeah. and yeah. we don't take ownership right so I think this is a great uh, definition of how to
1: construct one yeah, and, and one quick asterisk to it as well i've I've come to appreciate the the word priorities is is a bit of a trap because um i just have found looking at a lot of strategy documents that priorities are often sort of evergreen things like you know a hire and retain world-class talent and you know create world-class marketing and and you see these kind of things that are just sort of evergreen ideas that you mm-hmm. should have always been important but i have just found that if you substitute the word outcome for priority, it's amazing how the conversation changes. Because outcome is like, what is the specific thing we're driving toward over time period X? Whereas priorities can, again, become sort of very lofty and evergreen.
0: You're absolutely right. And I'm going to look at my own strategy here now. Uh, So in those hundreds of interviews that you've done uh, and really learned, I guess, so much, it's a fascinating career that you've had on people's leadership. What have you learned about your own style of leadership?
1: It's interesting, jazz, because I've I've found um, over the years that all the interviews that I do, um, they're kind of like mirrors that you hold up to yourself and you can kind of check your own leadership values and your approach and style against them. And I I learned this because very often, especially when I was at the New York Times doing corner office, um, a very predictable pattern would play out each week. So the interview would be published on Sunday. And very often on a Monday, I would get an email from a reader saying, you know, I've been reading this series all along and, and that guy yesterday, that was she was the best one so far. And then 20 minutes later, I would be up in the cafeteria and a colleague would come up to me unprompted and say you know that guy yesterday he goes I really didn't like that guy um and and this would happen over and over and so i i came to realize it's like these are sort of like very personal mirrors or like Rorschach tests ink blots that people see different things into them and and I've just found over the years that um you know I've managed people for 15 years I don't now but that it's just sort of helped me understand because I would hear things from leaders and I would sort of say you know what that's really important to me as well and you know as a manager I I like to think that I you know could flex to accommodate almost anybody's kind of quirks and things like that but there were a few things that were like super important to me which is and probably the most important one is like are you trying to get better at your job um and it sounds simple, but not everybody is trying to get better at their job, right? Some people are just on the, you know, it's kind of a flat line. They want to get through the day and maybe they've reached a point in their career. It's like, I know what I'm doing. Don't, you know, and, and so just leave me alone. But, you know, for me, if, if, as long as you're trying to get better at your job, I am all in, if you're not trying to get better at your job, that's kind of like kryptonite for me. Um, and. Some other sort of personal values that have really become important to me, I played a lot of sports as a kid. Um, I really don't like politics. I don't like drama. I really like authentic team spirit where it's like everybody's trying to help each other and um, achieve a goal. And then the other couple of things that are important to me is that it was captured in this phrase from a CEO I interviewed. He, He talked about being able to zoom in and zoom out and I, I think that's really important. You have to be able to zoom out and say, You know, like what's the big picture question we should be asking that we're not? Like just let's brainstorm some really big ideas. but being able to zoom in is to me just as important. I'm a really big stickler for detail, and I think detail matters, right? Accuracy just like just goes to like presentation and your credibility and your reputation. So I think those are really important. Um, and the final thing that I'll say is, um, and partly this comes from my late father, because my my father was um, also a journalist for many years, and he was an incredibly positive guy, intended to see the best in everybody. But um, he reserved all his disdain um, in the world for people he called upsuckers, which was these managers that he saw who would like suck up to their bosses and... Um, and you know, basically change their personalities for the people they were sucking up to rather than the the teams they were managing. And and the the way I've come to sort of process that is like you shouldn't you should always be who you are, right? Like you shouldn't be shape shifting based on the particular context. So when I was a manager I'd have, and I was going to meetings all day long and, you know, variably you're in a meeting and, and the boss tells the jokes and, and you've seen this movie, Janice, like the boss tells the jokes and like everybody starts laughing uproariously like they're a comedian, right? right? And the joke wasn't that funny. Um, so <laughs> my, my rule of thumb is like, I'm never going to laugh harder at a joke than the joke deserves. And if that Cost me a promotion down the line, like that's perfectly fine because I'm not going to change who I am.
0: You know, and I think the point that you made too about being a constant learner and wanting to be better at your job. Uh, one one of my podcasts with Julie Sweet, you know, CEO and chair of Accenture, she says, When I'm interviewing people, I ask them, what did you learn this year? And she said, I always look to what am I going to learn as a leader this year? So that you know, constant intellectual curiosity to always be learning and makes you better at what you do. So, Ellen Group is committed to gender equality parity in the C-suite in the boardroom. We've been doing this for decades. And so, I'd like to know, do you see any specific themes when it comes to women executives and strengths and or weakness that you've seen in those leaders, or is it the same when you had those interviews?
1: It, it, it's interesting. When I um – when I launched Corner Office and probably over the, the first couple of hundred interviews, I was um, I was this is the way my brain works. I'm always like searching for patterns. And sometimes when I would give talks, um, people would ask me as well, like I because I from the very start I committed to sort of embracing diversity in every sense of the word, race, gender, nationality, and industry size of company and all that. So I did interview a lot of women and I was asking myself as I went along, it's like, am I seeing differences? Um, and I just found over time, like the way I come down is like, there, there are so many outliers to the generalizations and stereotypes that to me, the generalizations and stereotypes kind of fall apart. Um, and I, I think, you know, just things like, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you more IQ than EQ or vice versa? Um, I, I, again, I was looking for patterns, but at the end of the day, I I didn't see any. And um, I I just think sort of at the leadership level, people are people. And and I didn't see any clear camps of like men more like this, women more like that.
0: You know, because we've read articles about women are risk averse. It takes them a long time to make a decision. They want to include everybody. It it was seen as a negative. I happen to think some of this is a positive, but um, you didn't see that difference in gender leadership styles.
1: Well, the, it, it's a good point. and And I've heard and read a lot about that too. And I, I think that's a very real phenomenon. But if if there was a point earlier in their career where they were held back, they got over it because I was interviewing them as CEOs, right? So they, they worked through that and um, were, were not afraid to raise their hand and go for those promotions. But some of them did share about how there was an important lesson earlier in their career where they kind of disqualified themselves from a possible promotion. And then maybe their spouse at home sort of <laughs> told them, it's like, Hey, go back there, put your hat on the ring. Um, <laughs> right. so.
0: Yeah. i am waiting for the day where it isn't 50 or 10% of the S and P 500 are women, but maybe 50%. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I'd, listen, let's, let's all then- light, let's all light a candle and, yeah. uh, and hope that happens.
0: So for those newer executives, managers wanting to become leaders, you have a monthly column in Strategy and Business Magazine, and you you are the senior advisor to the Rubin Mark Initiative for Organizational Change and Leadership at Columbia. So what's your message to some of the younger professionals who are not yet uh, at that executive level, but want leadership roles in the future.
1: So what I what I often tell people is to is to get three blank pieces of paper and put um, a different question at the top of each of those three pages. And the first page at the top of the uh, at the top they should write the question: What is the difference between management and leadership? And I know people sometimes have sort of pat answers to that, but I think people should spend time reflecting on like, what is their answer to that question? Because if they are moving into a leadership position for the first time or moving into a management position for this first time with the hope of becoming a leader, um, they should be clear in their mind on what that that difference is and the second question they they need to answer is do you really want to lead? Um, and it, that is the 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 first section of of the book and the word really is italicized and for good reason because I, I think a lot of people raise their hand for these senior leadership positions um, and go for those promotions without really pausing to think, um, about what they're getting into. Because, um, again, I talking to you, Janice, you've seen this movie many times. A lot of people get into these top jobs and they sort of go, wow, like I had no idea. Um, and, uh, and, and there might be a little bit of regret. There might be a little bit of, you know, this job that I just stepped into is not a good use of my strengths and it's exposing a lot of weaknesses. And frankly, I'd rather not do this and that's not good for anybody. So. Um, I always encourage people to do a lot of reflection about why they want to go after those bigger jobs. There's all those things in society that push you along into them, the status markers, right, of having a bigger title, the financial benefits, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the psychological bump of a bigger title wears off pretty quickly, and and the sort of, you know, the the financial bump as well tends to get absorbed into your budget pretty quickly as well. So I think you need to figure out, like, what is – What is the centerboard of your sailboat? If you will indulge that metaphor, that's going to sort of keep you on track um, through those difficult moments that you're going to encounter as a leader. And then the third question I think people really need to um, to answer for themselves is the question, who are you as a leader? And I always tell people that you may go through your entire career and nobody will ever ask you the question, who are you as a leader? But I think it's there's a really good ROI on spending time for yourself figuring out how you would answer that question because I think it helps with self awareness, calm, confidence, executive presence, gravitas, just that that X factor that people have where they they seem really comfortable in their skin. You can look in their eyes; they seem calm. There's that just sense that they know who they are, um, and you know the framework that I suggest to people. I, I don't pretend to be able to give people the answers, but I I do have a framework for how I think you can answer the question, who are you as a leader, which is to be able to say, look, these are the three values that are really important to me. And it's not just about the words, right? Because there's a lot of buzzword bingo out there in leadership, but figure out the, the words or phrases that are important to you as your values. And then to be able to say, look, this is what's important to me this is why it's important to me i'm going to tell you a story about how these values became important to me again make it real make it credible make it stick and then finally to be able to say and because of those lessons i learned and how i learned it this is how those show up in my leadership style this is how those ideas are manifested and if we're going to work together like you should know this about me because you will see this and i'm i want to tell you that this is important and this is why it's important to me. And I think if you can if you can present like cohesive answer to that question, like I just outlined, I think the people who are following you will get a sense. Okay. I understand you as a human being. You've told me the stories. So they feel real. I have greater sense of trust of you and you're much more likely to follow you as a leader in that. So to me, those are like the three big questions that you really should answer what's the difference between management and leadership? Do you really want to do this this leadership role? And then if so, how would you answer the question, who are you as a leader?
0: Yeah, I'd almost start with the first. Um, I find this really intriguing, what you've laid out here. And it ties into the user manual, doesn't it, in terms of working with employees within your your team?
1: Very much so, and, and I think of it, it the the metaphor that I use it it is at a higher altitude, like the question of who are you as a leader, your personal values. Yeah. That's at a pretty high altitude. The the user manual is much more tactical. Like, hey Janice, you and I are going to work together. Are you like, do you prefer email or brainstorming over phone or right. you know, things like that?
0: Yeah. So th- you've given us so much to think about. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to I've written down all these things and now I want to do. Uh but what are some parting words you would have which you learned about some you know great leaders out there who went from good to great? Was it their authenticity, their compassion, establishing a purpose-driven organization?
1: sure and and you know as you know, we could talk for hours about this, but let me right. let, let me let me focus on a couple. One is um, I think one through line of the thousand plus leaders I've interviewed is just having the the skill to simplify complexity. I don't think you can be an effective leader unless you have that. We've all met people in life who actually add complexity to things, Um, but I think just the way your brain works, you have to be able to take what's going on in the world, in your industry, in your company, and boil that down, create pretty simple models so that you can stand up at an all-hands meeting um, and say, you know, this is where we're going, this is how we're going to get there. And this is when we're going to get there. And it's that, it's that ability. Um, and to do that in a way that people can remember and in everyday language, um, to me, like that is a core skill. The other thing I, I've, I've I've always been so curious about people's stories, right? Like how did you get to the corner office? Um, and there were some people who seemed right out of central casting, right? That, you know, from the time they were a kid, they were in leadership roles on the teams. They were the class president. They were the frat house president. You could just tell it's like you're going to be CEO someday. But right. the people that I interviewed, it, that was a pretty small percentage of them. And I, you know, people I talked to, some of them just had such unusual paths to the corner office. They might've been a former elementary school teacher or they studied classical organ in school or theater or something. And then just, you know, people they met, jobs they had, now suddenly they're running a massive CPG company. So to me, that's endlessly fascinating. And I think people often are trying to figure out, well, what's the right path, right? Like if I want to get to that job, what's the right path? And what I always tell people is, there's no such thing as the right path. I mean, directionally you have to be, you know, you have to be heading in the right direction. Like if you want to r- run a big company someday, you should go work for a big company, right? Um, but within that, you don't you need to stop worrying about whether or not you're on the right path. And the thing that separates the you know, leaders that I've interviewed is there's really a sense that they make the most of whatever path they are on. Um, the, the visual I, I always think of is like, there's this, there's this wet towel of experience that sort of soaks up all their experience every day, but then they take the time to sort of wring the towel, right? To, to just squeeze every last drop of insight of lesson, you know, they take the time to reflect, like, what did I learn today? Boy, that boss did that, did that ran that meeting really well. Like, what did they do? you know meanwhile it's like i i'm stuck with this horrible boss over here like what is it that they, they do that i want to make sure i do the opposite of and so there's just this constant processing and sifting and just the sort of making the most of the feedback loop they get because as as much as you and i know that people can really benefit from from having a mentor from having a coach um, I think you can you can also do a lot of that yourself. It's like a habit of mind where you're just always asking yourself, what am I learning? And to me, those are a couple of things that really separate people. Again, there's a lot of others, you know, self-awareness, the ability to really listen, et cetera, et cetera. But those are a couple that I'm really drawn to.
0: Well, Adam, Bryant, this has been just such a uh, great learning for me. Um, uh, so I am I just finished your book, Leap to Leader, um, and I'm starting the CEO test and I'm going to sign up for your newsletters on LinkedIn, be one of the 230,000 <laughs> listening to you. Um, what what else should we look for in terms of your um, advice as leaders as people go from that management to leaders? Any other um Websites we should look at, or h- how to find more out about you, Adam Bryant.
1: Well, my personal website is adambryantbooks.com. Uh, dot com, and, and my firm, the Exco Group, we have a website. The website is um, excoleadership dot com. E X C O leadership dot com.
0: Well, thank you so very, very much. This was uh, you told us a lot of great stories about many leaders and some of their um, key. Uh, Examples of how to lead by merging into traffic, playing in traffic, monkey parking, and just so much more in terms of that user manual. And then looking at ourselves and saying, okay, what do we want those outcomes to be? And really at a macro and high level, strategically, how are we going to lead this organization and making, you know, simplifying the complexity? So thank you for all these great um, ideas for us to uh, put into our lives as leaders, as managers. And I look forward to following up on um, the CEO test on, it, on another uh, interview. So thank you so much for joining us today, Adam.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Janice. Really, really appreciate the conversation.
0: And to our audience, thank you for tuning in for another game-changing conversation on Leadership Reimagined. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or visit our website at Elagroup.com. Thank you for joining us today.